In today's show, we're talking Philadelphia 76ers. It's a mess. We'll try and figure some stuff out, and hopefully nothing changes by the time we record this and it gets released. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball, on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We're available on all platforms. So today should be like Friday night, US time, Saturday morning, um, Australian time. I'm recording this a day or so in advance, trying just my best to leave the Sixers to last or one of the last shows that we did, but I can't leave it forever. We will do another Sixers preview, um, more fantasy related later on when hopefully we have more clarity, but we are getting to the end of week one of the entries for the FBI and LOFB Fantasy Basketball World Cup. So get those last entries in. You will receive notification for that if you got in in the first week entries very, very soon, and then we'll have the second week entries next week. So be on the lookout for the shows next week, which will have the information about entering or have trying the second chance at getting into the uh, to the World Cup. But I'll send those other emails out probably at some point today after you've listened to this. Now we're going to talk Philadelphia 76ers. Welcome back to the show, Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers. Welcome back. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. Look, we could have just pushed this back and pushed this back and go, maybe something will happen. Maybe we'll get a resolution in the James Harden situation. But no, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to get a resolution. I don't think at any point there's going to be little bits and pieces of things that come out. But we just, we just don't know with so much with this team at the moment. But we are going to focus a bit on that in terms of where the team sits. Because as of us recording this, it's Wednesday night over in the States. It's releasing in about 48 hours after that, this show. And the latest we have on that situation, Keith, is a couple of days ago, we had the James Harden video coming out of China saying that Daryl Moore is a liar and he would never play for him in any organization he's a part of. Again, it, where, are we, where are we at with that? Is there anything that's sort of come through uh, after that part of it? Um, you know, James basically saying he's going to make it as 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 for the Sixers and Daryl Morey as possible if he does come back. But, you know, right now they have his rights. They, they, they say they're not going to trade him. So it might be in his best interest to, you know, try to mend things a little bit, you know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It, it's obviously feeling very, I don't know if toxic is the right word, but it's close enough to it where at the moment there's just a lot of animosity. That, that can soften uh, over time. And, of course, there are clauses in the CBA where if Harden doesn't report, then he's just not able to sign anywhere else ever again until the Sixers release him. So we'll see how that ends up uh, ends up working out in terms of what he does or if he comes in and makes it so uncomfortable they have to send him away. There are so many things that can go on. And we hope it doesn't mm-hmm. have to get into those sort of nasty situations, but it's already pretty nasty. But 
moment, let's now look at how the team currently looks, Keith, because that's all we can do. We can't speculate mm-hmm. here if Harden's going to go and these players are going to come in because we have no idea about what's going to happen. So in terms of how the team actually looks, what they did in the offseason, they bring in Patrick Beverly, they bring in Mo Bamba, they bring in, I thought they did really well in terms of the undrafted free agents. Two of those guys, uh, I thought, especially Terquavion Smith, were draftable guys. So they bring in Terquavion Smith, Ricky Council fourth, as well as Tabellis, and they signed Philip Petrusev, who was a second-round pick a few years ago. One question out of all of those, you'll, you'll notice that, and listeners will notice that, that three of those players are centers, and they also you know, matched an offer on Paul Reed. And, of course, they have the league MVP at center. So why are they getting so many centers? You know, I, I think, like, a lot of it was, um, well, you know, uh, I think a couple of them were guys who they look at that could possibly, um, you know, play both positions, play the four, could be stretch fours, um, and, and, and a center. And then in the, in the guy who's not listed right here because he was already on the team, like Montrez Harrell, I always looked at him as a guy that they would possibly package in the trade. Like, I didn't think he had a future here, but he could be someone that would be packaged in the trade. And when we look at uh, Philip Petrusev uh, and Tobolus, you know, these are two guys who are basically going to be on their G League team. So, you know, really, they're only Mo Bamba, um, Joel Embiid, of course, and and um, and Paul Reed are the three guys who are really going to play the center spot for him. We've got a little bit more to talk about with Paul Reed later on because there were some interesting things that I had heard about the way that Nick Nurse, of course, Nick Nurse is coaching this team now. That's another thing to upheaval with, with Doc Rivers gone. Nick Nurse is coaching the team, but we'll talk about Paul a little bit later on. Pe- Petrosev is an interesting guy because he he played in college, then went across uh, back over to Europe, stayed over there a couple of years after being drafted, but he hit, I think, 40% of his threes last season. It wasn't a huge volume, but Bumba can shoot threes. He was willing to shoot him. Petrosev can as well. So there is a, a little bit of something interesting happening there. In terms of the guys they lost, Jalen McDaniels, who they traded for midseason. Shake Milton's gone. George Yang's gone. And then the other guys, Dwayne Dedman, Louis King, and Mac McClung don't really matter too much. But Milton, McDaniels, and Yang were all rotation pieces. I don't... I would say if we look at these comings and goings lists, Keith, that that team overall probably got a little bit worse. Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, you look at it, like the thing about Shake Milton, he didn't get a lot of minutes in the playoffs or really didn't play at all in the playoffs. But he was a guy in the regular season who gave him some valuable mm-hmm. minutes whenever he played. He stepped in as a starter, and he you know, he was putting up some quality numbers, like leading the team and scoring. You know, George Niang, losing him, you know, right now you're losing a guy coming off the bench who can be – a designated sniper for you, long-range shooter, consistent. Now, he's not a good defender, but at the same time, they lose a lot. And when you look at it, you can argue that Shake and Jalen McDaniels weren't guys, Dwayne Detman were not guys who were in the rotation when it mattered the most in the playoffs, but George Niang was their, their sixth or seventh man. And I think you're losing a lot by letting him go. Yeah, like Milton was a guy that, especially early last season, when Maxi and Harden were both out at the same time, like Milton stepped up, took on a scoring load here. He was able to to pull his um, usage back at times when needed as well. And the thing also there is you can say that McDaniels wasn't a part of the playoff rotation, and that's true. But if you lose Yang, then McDaniels just would have stepped up into that role. Like he's a guy that can shoot pretty well from not as good a shooter as Nyang, but he can play that role. He's six foot nine. He can defend, he can shoot, and he would have replaced the Nyang minutes, but now you lose both of them. And the guy that's starting at power forward is 38 years old in, in PJ Tucker. And of course, 
we say all this with the gigantic caveat of like, who knows what this roster is going to be? There might be five different guys on this roster in three weeks' time because a hardened trade has uh, has gone down. But you did allude to it earlier. Montrez Harrell is on this team, and then he tore his ACL. We didn't think that necessarily he would be back, and then he declined his player option. They re-signed, and there was obviously some sort of negotiation and discussion there, but he's not going to play this season. And you'd have to think... Keith, uh, having watched him last season, that that might that might put an end to his uh, NBA career, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you you have to think that. I mean, because you know it, it's the ACL, and then he has some other damage to the knee, mm-hmm. and you know he's becoming an older player. I mean, let's face it. You know, he's a guy that basically was on a, taking a veteran minimum salary. So what that does is it lets you know that there really wasn't a lot of op- options and opportunities for him. So. Yeah, I, I would like. I hate to say it, but I think this could be it for him. Yeah, he's a, he had a great run. Obviously, made the most of what he was able to do, but uh, things really dropped off the last couple of seasons, and it is going to be hard to come back from there. But what we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about your projected starting five and rotation group in a second, Keith. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season is here, the preseason is well underway, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets every victory now Keith when you're doing this ad read it must be super easy you just say hey bet on the, the Eagles to win the Super Bowl you might get 14 regular season wins here and that's <laughs> that's bonus bets they're just the bonus bets are coming from everywhere but what would you use the bonus bets on would you look at a, a Jalen Hurts MVP bet is that is that worthwhile yeah I mean I, I think it would be I think it would be at least the people in Philadelphia that's what they, <laughs> they they're all betting on you know I'm pretty sure they already put a lot of money down on that one well Jalen Hurts took that big step last season maybe he goes even further again but you can use those bonus bets whatever you want spreads money lines over-unders player props it is all there so visit fanjul.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book that's fanjul.com slash locked on and don't forget to gamble responsibly Keith your projected starting five, again, it's an impossible task because we don't know who might be on this roster, but we do know who is currently on this roster. And this is the same starting five they ended the season with James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, Joel Embiid. They did tinker with it earlier in the season and they moved Maxey to the bench and had D'Anthony Melton starting, but they did end up with Maxey back in that lineup. I guess what this leads me to is that we know there's all this, agi- I'll say agitation, just to call it the, the kind word with Harden and Mori in the front office. Do you think that if he's not traded, do you, do you think that Harden will actually play for this team? If he's not traded, I, I think that he will like show up eventually, right? I do. I do think that you know it may not be at the start of the season, but I I, I think that he will eventually show up, assuming he wants to continue his his playing career, right? Because you already alluded mm. to early on that you know with the new CBA, if he if he holds out for longer than 30 days, then, you know, the the team has the right to not release him. But I do believe that he'll show up and and he'll show teams what he can do and then he'll get out of there because the longer it waits, it could really damage his career. But we we also know what, Daryl Moore is like in terms of stubbornness. We saw the Ben Simmons situation. He's sort of digging in the same way, saying, well, I'm just not doing it unless it actually benefits our team, which is great for the team in the long run if it actually pans out that way. But of mm-hmm. course, we know that Harden has uh, somewhat of an appetite to uh, to make things a little bit awkward when he is around and uh, maybe maybe not putting quite as much effort as he has uh, when he's fully motivated. So we'll see. He, he could be like, hey, look at me. I'm dominating. Please trade for me. Or he could go out there and say, get me out of here. I'm not going to try for a single second. And with James Harden, honestly, Keith, 
anything's a possibility. Um, the rest of the rotation, D'Anthony Melton, Patrick Beverly, Mo Bamba, Daniel House, we got in there. The other one there we got is Paul Reed. And I do want to focus a little bit on Paul Reed because I know that Sixers fans, and you would have seen this as well, were clamoring for Reed to get that that backup center role all of last season over Montrez Hell. Eventually, Doc relented. Reed got the role, and now he signed the offer sheet with the Jazz this season, brought back to the Sixers. But I saw something a couple of days ago, interesting sort of quote. I don't know if it was directly from Nurse or where it came from, but they were talking, or maybe it was Paul Reed saying that Nick had spoken to him, saying that he wants to be, he wants Nick wants to use him in a Pascal Siakam like role mm-hmm. and to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. And I went, ah, all right, that's really interesting because obviously Pascal Siakam played the five for Nurse, but. He's a four, and playing him next to Joel Embiid with PJ Tucker, as we said, old, and you know, declining in some of his abilities, especially his ability to take any sort of shot ever. Paul Reed's, if Paul Reed can do that, if he can play at the four, I there is, and if that if Nurse believes that and, and he's working on that, there is a pretty large role available. We've already detailed that Nyang and McDaniels have gone. So Reed might be able to play 25, 26 off the bench if that is indeed the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, I, I think, like, what you say, like, if P.J. Tucker is the starter, let's just say if he is the starter, um, I could see him being a, the starter, but Paul Reed getting more minutes, you know, mm. taking his minutes and playing a lot. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I think that and, – and, and the thing is, you know, when Paul Reed said that, you know, he says, yeah, Nick Nurse thinks that I could be a Pascal Siakam, and you're like – now, does he actually think you could be Pascal Siakam or you guys could have like you had a similar type role? But when you talk to people in the Sixers front office and people, you know, coaches and all that, Nick Nurse really does like Paul Reed a lot. Hmm. I mean, he's impressed with him. And when, you know, you think of Paul Reed, you know, Paul Reed's a guy who played um, small forward in high school. He played power forward in college. And Nick Nurse loves that versatility. So, yes, he's a guy who, looking at it, his numbers are going to um, go up because his playing time is going to go up this year. And it's not, even though P.J. Tucker is listed right now as a starter, Paul Reed could get those minutes, could, could, could become the starter. It's, it's a very, very interesting situation because people who play fantasy are well aware of Paul Reed because there are just insane steal, insane block numbers. He's a good rebounder. He gets assists. He does everything you want from an absolute fantasy stud, but he's always been buried playing 13 minutes a night, 14 minutes a night, mm-hmm. not playing every night. And the fact that yeah, they lost those two power forwards, nurses had these comments about Reed. It should open everyone's ears who plays fantasy about the possibility of just something interesting happening with Reed because... The statistical profile he puts up is amazing. Now he's not—he's not tall. He's like six eight or six nine. Like he's not very big at all. But everywhere he's gone, every time he's on the court, Keith, he produces in the G League ridiculous numbers. Comes in limited minutes for Philadelphia, like ridiculous numbers again. So he's shown an ability to do that. We just need to see how that pushes up. And if if Nurse likes someone as a player, well, we know what it means. It means he's going to just ride so many minutes into that guy, and that's what makes Reed a very interesting. Uh, player for me for this season. Almost one of the guys that I really want to watch the most in terms of how he's used. That brings us to talking about the younger players on this team, Keith. All the guys under the age of 23. There's Tyrese Maxey, Jaden Springer, to Quavian Smith, Ricky Council, and to Ballas. I want to focus on the top two names there, but I do want to start with Jaden Springer because somehow Jaden Springer has played two NBA seasons and he's still not even 21. He was one of, know, right? one of the youngest players in his draft class. And honestly, as a rookie, I thought he looked pretty lost. The shot wasn't there. He just couldn't translate anything. Even last season, the shot wasn't quite there, but he did 
up his usage, up his offensive responsibilities in the G League. And the defensive stuff was there. And then even the first game of Summer League or so, his shot wasn't there, but he started to really dominate. Now, on this sort of team, I thought that he might be a chance of getting a regular rotation role. It's year three. The defense is there. The offense has come around. He's still really young. I still have pretty high hopes for Jaden Springer, but where is he sort of sitting in the organization's eyes? You know what? They look at him, um, you know, right now, they, they, like you said, he's a young guy. You know, they look at him as a defensive guy who could come in and be one of those hustle players. Like, he's not a guy that you're going to run plays for, of course. Mm. Um, but but they look at him as, you know, can be sort of like, you know, a gritty 3 and D type of guy. Like a guy, if he's open, he gets the shot, he can make it. But for the most part, he is a guy that they expect to, you know, get hustle points, get steals, do things like that. I'm a quality defender. Now, again, how much will they use him? Will he be high up in the rotation? Um, you know, that I, I think he has to determine that with what he does in in, in um in, in the preseason, right? But but he they do like his defense, and that's an area that they struggled at in the past, perimeter D. So it, it you know, he is up to him to decide what he's gonna do. But I do think that as far as hustle points and, and steals and all that other stuff, that's going to be his role this year. He's elite at steals. He, in the G League last season, he played 30 games. He averaged almost 19 points on a true shooting of 62%, which is huge for efficiency. 2.3 steals and 0.9 blocks as a point guard. Like, those are ridiculously good numbers, and that's exactly the profile that he had coming out of Tennessee as well. So like Paul Reed, we've seen him do this at multiple different stops in multiple areas. And even those couple of games he played for the Sixers at the end of the regular season last season, he showed that sort of stuff. Now, I guess the acquisition of Patrick Beverly, who plays a very similar role there, I think, I think Springer's got a little bit more offensive upside, not that it's necessarily realized, but Beverly's not a guy we rely upon for uh, health at his advanced age as well. So I, I mean, he's, Springer's just someone to keep an eye on, especially if we do lose Jay, uh, James Harden and there's no other guards brought back. I, I'd just be watching him. But the other guy to talk about in the James Harden situation is Tyrese Maxey because we all understand that if Harden is doubt, I, I would expect that it's that, that puts Maxey into that elevated position, the number two offensive guy, the guy who would be most likely in charge of sort of running the offense. He's obviously not the level of passer James Harden is. But the question I have for you about Maxey is he sort of played an off-ball role. His shooting has been elite for two seasons. But if he is forced into that larger role, can he become a distributor, not to the level of James, because literally James was the best passer in the NBA last season. Can he can he up that part of his game? Can he do more than being an off-ball scorer, which is really what he's done through the first two years of his career? You know what? I mean, I think that's to be determined. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think he can do it, um, but I don't know of the level that he can do it at, right? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, his first year when when he was a when he was a second year playing, you know, his second year when when Ben Simmons yeah. was out, you know, they he brought the ball up, and once he got past half court, they ran their offense through Tobias Harris, right? So that was kind of tough. I believe that Maxi is if you take him and you want him to be your point guard distributing, you're taking a lot away from his talent level. You know, Maxi is a good guy. Once he gets out in space, you know, he cuts to the basket. You know, he's a good, like, wide receiver. I would give him, you know, a, you know, catching the ball. But as far as him being a facilitator, I think when he has to focus too much on that, 
it takes away from the spark that he has. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't really like it. I like him as a two guard, a combo guard at times who can handle the rock. But as far as being a facilitator and getting everybody involved, I think it's taken away from his his game, like his rhythm. It's this and that. Now, in that scenario, I would love to see, and I don't know, I would I know people are saying, what are you talking about? But if you have to have a point guard, let Patrick Beverly start, right? Yeah. But you still just gotta get Maxie the ball in space. I just feel like right now at this stage of his career. He, you know, he's more of like a a poor man's Dwayne Wade. I'm not comparing him to him, but what I'm saying is D Wade's not a point guard, never was, right? But you can just get him involved and let him score, score the rock. Because yeah, you referenced that season, which is really interesting. That that season when Simmons sat out, I remember at the start of that, you you probably remember this too, Keith, is that Doc Rivers was sort of in a debate, like, who am I going to start? Is it going to be Maxi? Is it going to be Shake Milton? He was like, oh, what are we doing? And then Milton, I think, got hurt at the start of preseason, and Maxi jumped into that spot and, of course, never gave it up. But he only averaged 4.3 assists, and he was the starting point guard for... 70% of that season before Harden came over in that trade. So you're right. They weren't using him in that role. So while we've seen him in that role without James Harden, he doesn't play like a real point guard or a you know, traditional point guard in that sense. So we can look at his usage and all that sort of stuff, but to expect him to get anywhere close to the assist numbers that James would pile up, like it's just not really in his game. And they didn't use him. Different coach, of course, but we'll see how uh, all of that stuff looks for this uh, this coming season. Now, the big question, and we've had this, I think I've even talked to you about this in previous shows, about Joel Embiid and his motivation for the season. Go, well, you know, Was he just so focused on getting the MVP, which he finally got last season? And we'd heard him talk about MVP for many years and be disappointed in losing it, but now he's got it. So what, what is it now? Like We haven't heard a huge amount from him uh, around this James Harden stuff, but what's his motivation for this season? Do you think that his his forcefulness through the regular season to get that award might push back a little bit. He'll focus more on preservation and fatigue uh, for the playoffs. Like how, how is Embiid sort of approaching this season? Do you think? You know, it's weird, you know, before, not weird, but before you always, you know, heard a Joel talking about like, you know, I'm a team player. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, but you knew he always talked about being the MVP. He always talked about scoring titles. Now the rhetoric that you're hearing it coming out is he wants to lose weight. He wants to be healthier. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. And when you look at it, let's face it, you know, Joel got the MVP, right? Mm -hmm. But, but that was like the cliff notes. Like, I mean, it was buried. Like no one talked about that at the end of the season. They talked about Nikola Jokic winning the championship. Right. And I feel like when you, when you, when you hear that, and you hear about Giannis Antetokounmpo winning the championship, let's face it, th- those two players and Joel Embiid are the three best players in the league right now, right? That's what you say. And and I think for Joel Embiid, he realizes that, yes, I won two scoring titles. Yes, I got MVP, but I got to get caught up with them. And in order for to do that is like win a championship. So I feel like Joel is focused on losing, shedding weight, He's focused on staying healthy and in order and, and being a beast in the playoffs. And in the playoffs, he's always been injured. So in order for him to do that, you may have to sacrifice scoring titles. You may have to sacrifice, you know, playing in all these games, doing all this stuff, because you know that you need to be a beast in the playoffs. And to me, 
that's where his focus is at this season, this offseason. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. That's why I brought the question up, is I tend to think that that might mm-hmm. happen. The thing that I look at and, and what people who are playing fantasy will want to look at is that they might be under this impression that if Harden isn't there, that Embiid's just going to take on so many more minutes and more usage and he's going to have to run everything. But I'm, I'm a little bit with you there where I don't think that'll be the case. And one other thing I think that is a little bit underreported, maybe not underreported, but just misremembered, Keith, is at the start of last season, Embiid was injured. Remember he had that weird foot injury and he just couldn't like he looked like he wasn't trying for half of the games he just was way out of whack so that was also an impact and maybe that contributed to fatigue that led to some of the stuff that happened in the playoffs but he was not right to begin last season so if he is focusing more on health and preservation through this offseason and not necessarily going with those gigantic numbers and gigantic usage it should be better for the long run but that trade-off between hey more usage with Harden gone versus trying to preserve his body might not lead to that big jump that fantasy people are perhaps hoping for now, we've talked about Harden side of this. We're talking about Embiid and the impact there and how he's dealing with this season. But I guess this big begs the question about on the James Harden side. Is James Harden's like, I'll never play for an organization that Daryl Morey is a part of. Does that mean that the Sixers might go, hey, well, we might not need to get rid of Daryl here. Is that at all a possibility? I don't think that's a possibility this season. I mean, this right now, I feel like if Daryl Morey doesn't get out of the second round, <laughs> this year, then yeah, that's a huge possibility next summer or, you know, um, but right now I don't, I don't feel like it is because, you know, when we think about it, the thing with the whole James Harden um, situation right now is not like Daryl Morey is like, Oh, I'm not just going to give him the money. You know, it's basically, you know, part of ownership doesn't want to give him the money. Daryl just so happens to be, you know, the face, Mm -hmm. but and if the owner wanted James Harden to get paid, James Harden would have gotten paid. So, you know, right now, as much as people get upset or people want to blame Daryl, you know, it's, it's like, hey, he's not the one signing the checks. You know what I mean? He's just the guy that the middleman, so to speak, when it comes down to that. So but I do think that Daryl's job could be in jeopardy if they don't get out of the second round. Uh, this year if they don't make a great trade if they you know things like that it is it is a great point Keith and it does get it doesn't get mentioned really at all because I've, I've multiple people have said to me well they'll, they'll just fire Mori because it's going to get Embiid's going to get angry and then we can get Harden back in here and they'll just fire Mori but like there is absolutely no way in the world that Daryl Mori is going James we're not paying you and then Josh Harris goes Daryl you got to pay him and he's like no nah, no nah, Josh we're not paying him it is totally my decision. There is just no way that's happening. There's no way that a general manager is making a decision like this that is not 100% backed by an owner. It just doesn't happen. Like the general manager has to go to the owner with all of these type of decisions. Like he's probably not going to the owner to discuss who we're bringing on a two-way. Like that's not the thing. But when you're committing yeah, a yeah. $40 million <laughs> contract with $200 million guarantee, whatever it is, yeah. the owner's got to be like, yes or no. The general manager can convince him either way, but the owner has to sign off on this. So this is not a case of, well, Daryl, I can't believe you did this. Um, you're out because you didn't follow our wishes. I just there's just no way that that is what's what's going on here uh, in the slightest. And the other thing with Daryl is this is the first coach he got to choose. Like he didn't choose Doc Rivers. He came in while Doc Rivers was there. 
So his, pic- yep, his, exactly. his picnic nurse, this is who he wants to run. We haven't really spoken about nurse in terms of how he's going to impact this team because we don't 100% know. And I'm not even sure that everything that nurse did in Toronto with the gigantic minutes he played, guys, and the scheme and the um, everything that he ran, I don't know that that was all nurse. I think a lot of that was the roster. And he didn't have a seven foot one MVP at center. He had a bunch of six, nine guys on the roster. So I don't think that everything that Nurse was doing in Toronto just necessarily translates across. And I think Nurse, part of the strength of him being a good coach is his adaptability to change things. So I don't think he's going to go, this is my system. I think he's going to go, these are the players we've got and let's mix it around. But back to the whole point is that Murray picked Nurse. This is the first time he's chosen this coach. So he is not in a situation where he's just going to be removed immediately because of this James Harden situation. Keith, who is a breakout candidate on this team? Say it again. I'm sorry. Who is a breakout candidate on this team? Wow, breakout candidate on this team, I think, could become Mo Bamba. And 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 the reason why I say that is because you know Mo Bamba has the skills, right? Mo Bamba he, he is does. a guy. He he has the skills. He's an elite rim protector. He can be right. Mm-hmm. He can also shoot the three. Yep. The the thing is, you know, he's just people always question his love for the game. And 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 thought maybe he was lazy, right? So if you look at Mo Bamba, and he's playing with Joel Embiid, not only that, let's face it, the the thing is, the Lakers had a chance to keep him, and he would have made a lot more money, and the Lakers let him go. So if this right now isn't a a rock bottom moment for him to get uh, to be a top six lottery pick, top six pick in the draft to now being traded to one team and then waived and now making a minimum salary contract. If this isn't like a moment that's going to wake you up, you're never going to wake up because I think Mo Bamba has the skills to be a player in this league and he's going to get opportunities. Right. So to me, it could be him. I mean, honestly, it could be him. I I think it could. I, I really do. So we'll see. We'll see. The there are going to be people who are watching this, Keith, who are going to be who know my opinion on Mo Bamba, and they're going to be man. Josh completely disagrees with this, but I actually don't. And, and the reason that I I, <laughs> I I actually agree with you because a lot of what basically everything you said there is true, right? He does have the skills. He can be a really good rim protector. He can shoot the three ball. Theoretically, he should be a good player. He just hasn't mm-hmm. been. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know where to be defensively. His shot has, is there sometimes. It's not there enough. He never passes the ball. He just. Doesn't do any of those things. And you're right. He got salary. He got dumped by the Magic. Like, they they traded him for Patrick Beverly, who went then our teammates now. And mm-hmm. they just waved Beverly immediately. They got nothing out of it. And the Lakers didn't play him. And then they didn't re-sign him. So he's been bad. The skills are there. He can shoot. He can protect the rim. But his ability to position himself offensively and defensively has just never been there through four years. Yeah. And he's just never done it. I, I would I would hope that the breakout guy is going to be Paul Reed because I really want to see that happen. Yeah. But... Bumper has the skills. It is all those those individual talents are there. They've just never been able to be put together. So we'll see. Maybe Nick yeah. Nurse does unlock that. It is going to be interesting because again, I agree with those things. He's just never done it ever. He's been bad basically every time on the court, even though those individual skills do flash and you see those things that he can sometimes do. What about on the other side? I think there's a relatively obvious one here, but I'll see if you look at it the same way. What about a player who you think might take a step back this season? A player that might take a step back this season. Did we already mention that, that player? Um, I, I look. If, if I'm going to look at it, I, I think it's I look. PJ Tucker's 38. Like he already took a step back last yeah. season. I just 
at that age, yeah. with already that step back and the fact that he just never does anything offensively, I, I worry that he might become a little bit too much of a liability to be out there for you know even over 25 yeah. minutes a night. That, that, that'd be my worry. As soon as someone's hitting that age, gets a, a little bit concerning to me. Look, I'm not sure that Tobias Harris, I don't know that he's going to be one of those guys. In fact, he might actually have to step up his production if Harden, yeah. Harden does move on. But Tucker be the one that mm-hmm. I'm a little bit worried about. And I do this segment on every one of these shows, Keith. We talk about the most likely player to be traded, but we, we know who he is. It's the guy that's on the thumbnail here. Like it's, it is it is Harden, surely. Like, do you, if you had to predict it, would you think that Harden will be traded before opening night? I think he, yeah, I do. I do. Because I think that it's going to, the Sixers have too much riding on this season. And for, for this guy to be disruptive the way that he plans to be, I think that they would try to get him out of here, like get to a point where we just have to move him. And I understand it. They held out with Ben Simmons and this and that, but you got to understand, like, at that point, you could get more for Ben Simmons just because he was younger. You know, he had a bigger upside. James is getting old. I think that we we, we could definitely see that. I, I do. Yeah, James do. James just turned thirty four. Like it's he's not young. Like this is the end. This is the end part of his career. Like he's still got value over the next three four years, but not that much. Like it's it is a very very different situation. And he's on a, a one year contract at the moment. Keith, that'll bring us to play the grid game. Now, talk to you before we went on air. So have you played this game? Yeah, not really. You're one of those guys who seems to be like a few other these hosts who just just outside of the NBA. Twitter bubble, which is great. It's a great way to be able to decompress. Unfortunately, I can't do it. So I'm obsessed with seeing these things. So what we're looking at, Keith, is we're looking to get players who have played for both franchises. We've got Philadelphia and Toronto, Philadelphia and San Antonio, Philadelphia and the Lakers, Philadelphia okay. and the Heat, the Kings. And the last one is we want a Sixers player who was an all-NBA guy. But we are getting scores on this. So what I want to okay. do is find guys who are, have played fewer games. So we look at the, they could have played 500 games for the Sixers and two games for the Raptors, but the two games is what I'm going to count. So you look for these random sort of players. So basically, it's just guys sitting around remembering old players who are funny and like, oh, remember that guy? Remember these guys? Yeah, now let's see how we go with this. Again, first time you're playing this game, we'll see how it goes. All right, where do you want to start? Who, which player that you know that played for is some of these franchises? Where do you want to go? Is it the, the Raptors, the Spurs? Who who are we going to go with? Let's start with the Raptors. All right, and, all right. You, okay. The, the guy that I'm going to go with is Amir Johnson. Amir, this is a, this is actually pretty... I was, I was just looking at Amir Johnson's name. Amir Johnson is a guy that played tons for the Raptors. I didn't think he'd played that much for the Sixers, but actually yeah. he, he had played... He's played quite a bit, 125 games for the Sixers, which is the most... Oh, really? That's the, wow. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe that. That is the most out of anybody. So unfortunately, that gets you a score of 100, which is the worst score. But that's fine. I can't believe that Amir Johnson's played the most <laughs> out of that group. I tell you who would have been uh, a, a really... I tell you who would have been a great one. Remember when, oh. remember when Greg Monroe played three games for Philadelphia? Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel you, man. Look, you know, Greg Monroe, that was like, yeah, that was... He had a cup of coffee yeah, yeah. He played yeah. three for Philadelphia, 38 for the Raptors. Jared Bayless was another one who's played for both of these teams. Um, what other funny names are there in here? Just to, to remember some guys. Uh, oh, who's this? Oh, here we go. Uh, Lou Williams obviously played for both uh, both teams. Um, John Salmons. Wow, I forgot that he played for the Raptors. There you go. And oh, and PJ Tucker had that little stint with the Raptors as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. All right, which one do we want to do next? Um... Let's okay. Oh uh, well. So now the thing is, so this this guy like okay. So they have to play. 
a minimum games with with the Sixers, what, right? They have to play one game minimum for either team, and we want we want to oh, find the guys one game minimum, one game minimum okay. for either um, team. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Let's go with the the, the Miami the Miami uh, Heat. Okay, and have you got someone? We got we got a random player here for the Heat. Who, yeah, random go? player. Let's go. Who is Hayward? It? Hayward Highsmith. Oh, that is a great one. Oh yes, I forgot that he started in Philadelphia. He played five games for the Sixers, and now his well, that is a great score. One point nine seven. Keith, you're on, you're on a roll now. Hayward Highsmith, five games for Philadelphia. He's played seventy three for Miami. That is a great score there. All right, you got the hang of it. Where are we going now? Um. Okay. So. Hey, let's go with. Ooh, but he had to play one game for both teams, right? Minimum one game. One game yeah. for both teams. Um. Wow. Oh man. Um. Okay, let's go the Spurs. Okay, let's go the Spurs. All right, what have we got here? I've got a couple this of names. This is in another my head. random guy. Let's go Charles Bassey. Ooh, yes, Charles Bassey. Yes, uh, I think I think he's going to turn into a pretty good player, but we'll see how that goes. But he played yeah. only a handful of games for both teams. That's an 11.93 score there for Charles Bassey because he played 23 for Philadelphia, 35 for the Spurs. I tell you what would have been a great one is Julian Champagny, who's played two games for the Sixers. Oh, yeah, he would have been a great one. Yeah, Julian Champagny. Um, okay. Who else have we got on this? Oh, Mario Eli played, or Mario Ely, sorry, three games for Philadelphia back in the 90s, I'm guessing that was. Um, and what about Thiago Splitter? He played eight games for the Sixers. I don't remember yeah, those. I don't remember yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Oh, wow. Yeah. I do not remember okay. those eight games. All right, what are we doing next? Now, I only, okay, let's do the next one. Um, let's do the Kings. All right, let's do the Kings. All right, the Kings and the Sixers, out of every one of these shows I've done, I think this is like the 2015 preview show I've done, the Kings and the Sixers have the highest amount of players that have played for both franchises out of any team that I've seen. 85 players have played between these two franchises. Wow. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, crazy. I did not expect that. And I thought, well, it's just a, such a big list of names. Let's see. One guy who... He played one game with the Sixers. Oh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> and I don't know how many games he played with... Uh, the king, so I'm throwing it out there. I, I don't imagine a lot. Lewis King. Wow, Lewis, Lewis, that is amazing. That is the perfect score that you could get for that because he did play one game for the Sixers, and it was I think the final game of last season. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He put up some big numbers, but he played. That he, you get a zero for that, which is the best score you can get. He played 16 games for the Kings, one game for the Sixers. Lewis King, who, uh, yeah, wow, amazing. All right, we got the Lakers. Um, and then we've got, uh, we want to pick a Sixers All-NBA player is the, the last category. Wow, the Lakers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, see, because this Bynum never played a game for no, the Sixers. No, so he doesn't count, yeah. which would have been a good one, but he doesn't count. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, I'm a loss for words on this one. Um, I, I remember they had a point guard. I forget it. Oh, dude, he went to North Carolina. Oh man, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm a loss for this one. Um, I'll. I'll give you a hint. There is a guy that played on this team on the Sixers last season. Barely played. Very similar to the Lewis King sort of situation. It was two years ago, right? No, l- um, last season. There was a guy last season. Oh, last season. Last season, he was on the team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mac McClung. Mac McClung is correct. McClung, yeah, Mac yeah, McClung yeah. played. Yeah. Two games for the Sixers. 
mm-hmm. but he played one game for the Lakers. Wow. So he gets zero there as well. The other names you could have gone there, obviously Wilt Chamberlain was the the, the highest yeah. games played. He played tons. There was um, Corey Brewer played seven games for the Sixers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny yeah. Green, Danny Green, and Montrez Harold, uh, Dwight Howard with his uh, few games there for the Sixers. Mike Muscala was another name on that list. There was actually quite a few. Nick Young, oh yeah, I forgot that Nick Young was a Sixers guy. Yeah, Nick Young. Yeah. He, Who was yeah. the uh, Sadell Threat? Was that the guy? Yeah, Sadell Threat. Yeah. Um, he did. And then we're looking at All NBA players. So the way we're going to look at this, Keith, is they have to have made an All NBA team while they were a member of the Sixers, and we're going to grade it by the fewest career games played for the Sixers. So there are. 10 players in NBA history or Sixers history who have made an all-NBA team. And we want to go for the guy who played the fewest games for the Sixers and they made an all-NBA team as a member of the Sixers. But they had to play at least one game. Oh, but oh, they made all-NBA for the Sixers. For the Sixers. Wow. And then we want the fewest career games for the Sixers. So there's only 10, oh, 10 guys in history who have done this. Oh, me. Think, let me think. Just oh, illustrates how hard it is to make All NBA. The Sixers are a franchise been around forever with so much history, and they've only got ten guys who've made All NBA teams. Oh, um, um, what's, um, see, this I'm getting because there's only ten of them, right? Mm. Um, well, have a think about who, who do you who do you know that made All NBA well on the Sixers? You can go through some of those names and think about how long or how many games they played for the Sixers. Like Moses Malone was one. Yep. Um, what's the guy that they retired his jersey number four? Uh, and how far back it goes back to history? It goes back to like nineteen seventy one or something like well, that. Well, actually, actually, this guy I can't use him. Because he played for the Syracuse Nationals, so that was essentially the Sixers. They just they just moved. Um, all NBA, the most egg. Uh, see, it's, it's, um, it wasn't Doc. It wasn't. Uh, of course, it wasn't AI. It wasn't Barkley. Um, was it? Was it Wilt? No, because Wilt didn't. Um... Wilt's, I don't know if they had the, the All NBA back when Wilt was playing for Philadelphia because I don't think that started till like the 70s. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to double check that because I'm pretty sure that's the. Yeah, not, he not, only yeah played, from 19, 1971. He only, played, he only played a couple seasons for the Sixers. Yeah. You know, he was, most of his stuff was with the Warriors. This is um, 1971 onwards. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. Did George McGinnis make it? I'm going to take that as your final answer because that is ab- yeah. absolutely correct. George McGinnis did make oh, an, all, an all NBA okay. team, and he was—he actually wasn't the lowest games played career for the Sixers. He played—I'll okay. uh, tell you who it was in a second. Um, he played 234 games for the Sixers. It gives you a score of wow. 17.53. But the fewest games played for a guy who made an All NBA team while a member of the Sixers was Dikembe Mutombo. Wow. Yeah, he played 100, yeah, yeah, 106 yeah, yeah. games for the Sixers. 
Wow. And the other, the other, the other ones who are low scores is Embiid and Simmons because they haven't played a huge amount, especially when you compare them to Barkley and to um, Julius Irving, who played like a 600, yeah. 800 games. But yeah, Simmons only played 275 games. So uh, his, his score would have been not bad there as well. But Matumbo was the, the best one, but McGuinness is like the second best answer there. So well done to yeah. you, Keith, on that one. And that brings us to an end of today's show. Thanks for coming on, chatting about whatever it is that's going on with the Sixers team at the moment. What's going on uh, over at Locked On Sixers? at the moment you know basically we're talking about um uh you know what's next for the sixers you know what's next for james harden and and and, and daryl moore and the sixers and does james harden like is, is he a guy that you think is, is going to let this drag out and and say hey look i'll just retire so divine Givens and i will go back and forth you know analyzing that the pros and cons of him doing that Go check out Locked On Sixers for all of the news on the Harden stuff. Whenever something goes down, Harden, Mori, Embiid, whatever it is, Keith and Devon will have all that for you over at Locked On Sixers. Keith, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it being on. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.